In today's show, we have Jeremy Berger from Berger Consulting. I met Jeremy when we both worked at a local hospital system in Cincinnati, and today we're going to talk about innovation in hardware and software asset management. If you're ready to learn how technology is driving business innovation in Cincinnati and beyond, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Join us for interviews and discussions with business leaders, innovators, and visionaries. With our host, Sam Schutte, CEO of Unstoppable Software, this is Unstoppable Talk. Okay, Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Maybe a good place to start out is to talk about how you got started and, and how you got into this field. Yeah, so um, funny story. Uh, actually started off as a uh, service technician uh, for the lo- for uh, back in 2001 when everyone was worried about the Y2K bug. Hmm. And uh, basically, if you could fog a mirror, you were thrown into the IT department to try mm-hmm. to resolve this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you laugh, but you know what I mean. Um, but uh, come to find out, uh, I'm really good at reading a contract and... Uh, figuring things out so that uh, I was presented with an opportunity by a former boss uh, when I worked at one of the uh, uh, local uh, healthcare conglomerates, the same one that you Mm -hmm. and I met at. And I was nearing the end of my contract. The work uh, amount had kind of gone down as these things cycle and we were waiting for the next project to show up. And so uh, boss's name was Steve, and Steve says, you know, we need to figure this this asset management thing out. Hmm. And it was a old copy of Computer Associates Unicenter, hmm. uh, and <laughs> which has its own reputation in the asset management industry, uh, and not a good one. Hmm. So, um, and so I did a little bit of research, and it's like yeah, I can get this to work. And it's like, okay, well, here's some used equipment for another project that we didn't use. And, you know, there's a closet that used to be the, uh, uh, used to hold all the equipment for the proton gun in the uh, radiology lab. Mm -hmm. So have at it in six weeks, show me what you got. And rebuilt the system so that it would, uh, the initial purpose was to image standardize the images that would lay down on the uh, desktops and laptops that were going out to mm-hmm. the different hospital locations. At the time, it was all mismatched and whatever the local technician remembered to put into, and you had trouble with version control and the like. Well, now you had a central repository for mm-hmm. those images and sped up the process dynamically. I just just incredible. Well, in order to do that, you had to collect... Uh, data on what kind of hardware you were purchasing, what were you plugging into the system. And as the research went on, I learned more about the asset lifecycle and how you build these systems. And then I realized that not many people actually put a lot of effort and and study into how these systems go. Hmm. Uh, I believe uh, there was a a study by LinkedIn that says that uh, currently, 2018, there are fewer than 25,000 people in the world that are actually qualified to do hardware and software asset management for Hmm. organizations. So that was one of the things that finally uh, propelled me into my own 
uh, start my own company okay. is that um, to be a full-time employee for just one company, you'd solve the issues, we'd get the system running and wind it up and the pieces are going fine. I wanted the next challenge. Yeah. So once you get things to a steady state, there's no real sense to pay Jeremy the big bucks to just sit there and wait for the light to go red. Yeah. <laughs> Let him go off and do something else that's interesting. Yeah. So setting up um, new things is always more fun. Too, right. 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 Yeah. And uh um and yeah, so there's so much more work to be had and so few people that can do it. That's where uh, I got the inspiration to okay. strike out on my own. So. so so, maybe a good place, a good question to start with too is, um, you know, what is, what is asset management, hardware, software asset management, and more importantly, why do companies care about it? Right. So um, the first part, um, the cheeky answer is it is a uh, little-known process inside the ITIL framework um, that is supposed to ensure that organizations get the highest return on investment in their hardware and software spend. Okay. The trouble is that ITIL buries that process inside their uh, release control and validation spot if they mention it at all. Mm -hmm. And they do the same thing to IT security. So nobody's really surprised. Now, version four that just was released here at the beginning of 2019, there's supposed to be a little more meat around the idea of what asset management is and how you measure it and how you, how you design, implement, and take it forward. I'm not seeing a lot, um, not from the people I've talked about it and not from the people that uh, are starting to come back from the uh, uh, foundation tests. Okay. You're not seeing a lot of it. So again, forgotten. Now, <laughs> why should we care? Um, because it gets right down to the heart of the matter and organizations are here to make money. They, mm -hmm. they, they turn raw material and raw knowledge into a product uh, to be consumed in one form or another. Um, and those that do it better, faster, cheaper are going to survive and thrive. There is a Gartner article uh, from 2016, and um, we're going to share the article number yeah. um, that suggests... 30% of a organization's software budget can be eliminated by implementing a proper software asset management system. Okay. So what, how, how is that so? So it comes from three different areas. The first is by organizing how you're consuming your licenses. And, and uh, what I mean by that is uh, feature set alignment, right? Mm-hmm. And we've seen this scenario. Adobe Acrobat is probably the best one. How many times does an organization pass around Adobe Acrobat Professional to everybody? Sure. And if you ask a random person, what do you do with it? I look at PDFs. Yeah. Well, I, I make PDFs. Great. <laughs> do you print them? Well, no. Do you create them? Well, no. Do you take pages out and put them in? Do you add an electronic signature? Do you have version control? Do you have this and that and all the other? No. Well, then why do you spend all this money on Acrobat Professional? 
-hmm. Well, that's what I was told I need to buy, or mm -hmm. that's what I used in my old job, or, you know, this came along with the laptop. So big deal. I well, just kept upgrading it. Exactly. Right. So yeah. there's an opportunity. This person is obviously not using that software to the fullest potential. Plus there's a lesser version, maybe even the free version that they could use, not have any loss of productivity or uh, impact to their uh, uh, business as usual activities. And the company gets that software license to put it to somebody that will put a good use. Mm -hmm. And the same thing on the hardware, right? It's nice to have that nice, shiny Macintosh, sexy logo sitting on your desk and sitting up and typing on it. Things got six cores and, mm. you know, uh, uh, I, I don't even remember what the, what the uh, uh, implications are on the hardware. You know, you could have this great big honking machine and what do you end up doing on it? You type out emails all day. You sure. fill out project reports and TPS reports and, you know, hell yeah, that's great. But yeah. you're not utilizing that thing. It's not like you're, you're folding proteins or yeah. building up the next uh, um, computer animation model. Adjust that. Find out what you're really using it for. Or recover something that um, you thought was being used but isn't being used and then put it to a different use, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that's the second part where you can see a lot of uh, expense reduction and, and budget recovery is being able to properly identify when a... Uh, uh, when an opportunity presents itself to take something off of, uh, offline and then repurpose it for a different use. Mm -hmm. Right. So that computer that is designing, you know, folding proteins or, or doing all of the, uh, creative control for, you know, I don't know, you know, it's landing airplanes. Well, after it gets to the end of its useful life, that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't another life that can be used. Mm-hmm. So you can start to methodically plan out the obsolescence piece. And you might not need all of them. You could have a team of 12 of those things. But if you can recover two of them, then that means two more that you can like send to the secretary pool. Or yeah. you know, do we have secretary pools? I, I, I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned secretary pools. Here's a, a side comment. I mentioned secretary pools because my mom was part of a secretary mm. pool back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. And she was notorious for being able to outpace the, uh, uh, type, uh, uh the keyboard buffer. Okay. Yeah. Cause she could move at almost, you know, 120, 160 and just, and on those old IBM keyboards, it sounded like mm -hmm. a machine gun yeah, going off. Yeah. She's just going on. And then she'd be holding a conversation with somebody next to her. Oh yeah. Hey, how you doing? It's like, good. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, again, if you're typing documentation, that is a completely different purpose from doing something big and nasty and heavy yeah. computing power. But that machine that was top of the line, able to do those, oh, able to do those, those, uh, uh, high level calculations will be just fine later in life. Sure. Sitting there typing up emails, filling out TPS reports, and hmm. maybe the occasional spreadsheet. Let's take a quick break. 
This podcast is sponsored by Unstoppable Software, a Cincinnati-based technology consulting firm. At Unstoppable Software, we bolt on to your company's team and accelerate their ability to deliver custom software development projects. With our deep experience in manufacturing, engineering, and healthcare, we can tailor systems for process improvement, data analytics, machine learning, and document workflow, so they become a user-friendly, perfect fit for your employees and the way they want to work. To learn more about how we make our clients unstoppable, visit us at unstoppablesoftware.com or call us at 513-382-8499. And now, back to Unstoppable Talk. Well, I think it's probably important to note, too, that, you know, if you think of a small company, 10, 20 employees, like this problem exists, and okay, yes, you can save one license of Acrobat or something. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about you know, 100,000 person and companies and, you know, global banks and stuff, you know, this is a seven and eight figure problem. Right. Right. And that's where the third uh, opportunity to uh, recover that budget spent comes into place is putting in a proper software asset management system, mm-hmm. something that looks at the um, quirks and legal ease inside your volume license agreements um, that can, um, in real time, shuffle licensing back and forth and detect when installations happen in one place that might either move your license count up or down, um, and how quickly you can detect that and then jump on it, mm-hmm. uh, take advantage of it. Um, for example, one of the weird little quirks that you find, and everybody loves to pick on this, Oracle, the database, uh, what is it, the um, uh, DB1, the uh, um, the database edition, mm-hmm. and it costs you a license per core, per processor, per core, right? You think that's a pretty straight line. Uh, the trouble is, is that that's only for Intel. Hmm processors. Mm-hmm. If you use an AMD processor, hmm. it's three quarters. Hmm. So Strange. if you have, yeah, exactly. So if you have need of a massive Oracle data farm, mm-hmm. you want to run PowerPC or AMD because it's actually cheaper than what the Intel does. Sure. So it's those kind of observations that a SAM program can come in and say, hey, Here's what your need is. Here's your opportunity costs. Which one makes the most sense for us? So actually analyze that and capture what you're using and stuff. And Indeed. Index it, basically. So again, when you are a 10 or 12 person shop, one person can do this calculation in their head. It's pretty sure. easy, right? But when you start scaling up to 500, 5,000, 500,000 people, the math gets complicated in a hurry. Yeah. It's interesting how many problems become... So much bigger at scale. Like one of my customers does data migrations for virtual servers, right? Mm-hmm. You think, okay, yeah, you migrate a couple servers, no big deal. Well, I mean, he's working with customers that do ten thousand servers a year, every year. Yeah, and they always have for, and they'll continue to. You mm-hmm. know, the logistics around that become problematic, right? right? And, well, um, 
And can you expect any one person to know everything about all of the impacts? Yeah, exactly. So, and once you have a team, then how do you keep that team informed? Well, that's where these tools come into play. Well, and you, and you mentioned the licenses and, and all that sort of stuff. And I imagine it would also relate to sort of your legal liability when you're talking about license, uh, user licensing and, and such and what you're allowed to get away with just because we do have these enforcement bodies out there. Is it, isn't it, is it the BSA? Is that what it's called? Uh, uh, yeah, it's the uh, um, uh, Business Software Alliance, yeah. the BSA. And they're the ones that will... I worked at a company long, long time ago that... Um, I think it was years before I got there, mm -hmm. uh, had gotten a, you know, rather large six figure fine from them because they found out they were not paying for all the MSDN licenses from Microsoft they were supposed to, for instance, right? Wow. So um, BSA caught you before Microsoft clued into I it. I guess so. Yeah. I'm impressed. It was like three years before I started working there, maybe. Right. But, uh, I, I don't know that everybody realizes that there's this watchdog out there, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, they'll advertise on NPR. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So. <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's a very real uh, threat. So and and another thing to be cognizant of then. So um, again, at scale, when you're a twelve, thirteen person shop, you don't qualify for uh, a lot of times. You don't qualify for the cost reduction or or uh, uh, off uh, sticker price. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, rate reductions. Yeah. But when you start buying in bulk and in large numbers, well, you can start to leverage a 10, 15, sometimes 40% discount. Well, that comes at a cost. Mm -hmm. And that cost is that, um, you know, you have to set a particular level agreement on how many items you will buy year over year, how many you're going to keep up to date. And oh, by the way, Tell us, publishing company, tell the publishing company once a year how many exactly you're using. And then every three years, we're going to take a look at what you said and then do an audit and yep. what you're actually using. And if that's wrong, we're going to punish you. Yeah. And those <laughs> fees can get mighty hefty. You're used to paying. And this is a conversation I get into a lot when, uh, you know, when I start measuring what the impact of the SAM program is. If you have, if you're used to paying 40% off a sticker price for a license, mm -hmm. you get it in your head that that's what it really costs. Yeah. But in the contractual agreement, the penalties for being out of compliance are usually 125% of the list price. Hmm. So not only are you paying at this 40% reduction rate, you lose that yeah. plus an extra 25 because we don't like you. <laughs> Well, I've not seen that before. That's interesting. <laughs> well, on the other hand, though, I, I imagine what I have seen with customers is that, especially the really big ones, you know, it's it's a left hand, right hand thing where yes. California talks to New York and they're like, you're using that software too? Mm -hmm. How many licenses are you using? Oh, we're using 500 licenses in California and maybe there's 200 in, in, uh, in New York. And we're like, well, doesn't that put us over the volume discount that we could? And they have no idea that for years they've been paying mm -hmm. 20, 30 percent more than they had mm -hmm. to because well, they never even knew they were using it. Exactly. Right? And I've seen where the reverse is true as yeah. well, that you have um, uh, geolocation pinned licenses. You mm -hmm. are only allowed to use a license in this group or this department, but this other department wants to use it as well. Oh, well, we're being friendly here, here. Just 
borrow some of ours. We're not using these. Are you still in license compliance? By count, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but not by the agreement. And they will most certainly take that uh, take that extra money. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So in this space, um, what was what was really your first big break uh, for your business, uh, for a customer? And, and, you know, what was the first big project you did that you kind of got into this uh, on your own? So the... Um... Yeah, uh, uh, what really convinced me to get out on my own is I was working for uh, another uh, uh, hospital conglomerate here in Cincinnati. Um, not to give away, I want to, you know, not say names to protect the innocent, right? And uh, I was hired to be their asset manager. And the they had never had an asset management program before but they felt like after this last audit from Microsoft they were over the barrel they had uh, and it was really on their office licensing which is notorious for being abused <laughs> because it is so necessary in today's world yeah. and it's very easy to move around you get a volume license key you plug it in you put it in your image hey you're off to the races unless of course that computer isn't supposed to be running it <laughs> then you have to pay um and so it was a pretty hefty fine and part of the punishment if you will for lack of a better word uh was to bring the organization into the office 365 yeah huh. so part of the agreement was um they set up two classifications they had their knowledge base users which everybody knows and loves right that's the folks like you or me where you're assigned a laptop and you get a copy of office and you're mm -hmm. expected to use it as part of your uh business as usual they had a second group and this was kind of interesting because it's a hospital. The assumption was most of the people would not have their own computer, but mm -hmm. they would be sharing computers that would be peppered around all over the hospital, uh, either on carts for um, medical distribution yeah. and um, or stationed uh, uh, at the nurses station to be available as nurses go on and off shift. And, um, you know, sometimes near bedsides or for some of the critical patients and the like. Well, because those are going to be shared machines, the reasoning was those will use a device cal, uh, client access license, to talk to the rest of the network. Mm -hmm. So one of the rules about Microsoft is you instead have of, to instead have... Instead of a user license. Instead of a user license, yeah. exactly. So just to explain to the listeners and the folks back home... Um, you get a computer and you get an operating system. Uh, you have to pay for that operating system, but the manufacturer usually picks that up for you. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're going to take that computer and get it to talk to somebody else's corporate network and any of the other Microsoft products that are on that network, like servers and email and mm -hmm. all the uh, all the rest of that, you have to have a connection license, a uh, access license. And they come in two flavors. Either it's by device, which kind of makes sense to most people. That computer's plugged into, into the network socket. That's got to have a license. The other way to do it is by user. 
so that you as a person that types in your log, uh, login credentials, that is you activating your access license. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now with Office 365, they, Microsoft has sweetened the deal because they recognize how popular iPads and iPhones and Androids and mobile devices are moving back and forth uh, with information and coming in and out, you know, this connected. They give you five connection licenses, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word, um, for mobile devices, and then five connections for computers. Mm -hmm. I can, in case you're curious, how do they define a computer versus a mobile device? Any guess on what on how they pick on how to decide? I don't know, operating system, maybe that's right. No, no, screen size. Hmm. If okay. your screen is over, uh, I believe it is ten and a half inches, might be eleven inches. It's considered a computer. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. That iPad kind of depends. Yeah. Is not it sure the small the, one? Is it the big one? Yeah, I'm not sure how the big, the biggest one is. <laughs> uh, I hear twelve inches. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So pretty beefy thing, right? Interesting. So. Here's a situation that this hospital ran into. All these computers are spread out through their hospitals. They're all licensed. They're talking to the network. And really, they've got a specific purpose. They're to get information into the uh, electronic medical record mm -hmm. database, the MDR. Not MDR. EMR. EMR. Thank mm -hmm. you. <laughs> MDR is something different. We'll talk mm -hmm. about that later. Uh, into the EMR. But we were not getting the same count of users as we were computers with the knowledge-based licensing, that by user count. Mm -hmm. And nobody could figure out why until we actually, uh, uh, I sat down, locked myself in a room with a great big whiteboard and just started scribbling out all kinds of scenarios. The clue was the email addresses. Part of Office 365 was to have a um, mobile-ish uh, email account that you could jump onto a computer log into uh, Office Online or the the you know the WEP or you know whatever uh, URL that the organization set up so that you could on any computer at any given moment check your email, update your schedule. And the thought was doctors don't need to be waiting around to get back to their home office in order to send emails or warn patients or mm -hmm. the like. Yeah. The number of emails was not matching up with the number of logged-in computers. Hmm. So the computers that were being turned on had the login typed in manually and then would shut off at the end of the day. That kind of computers was not matching up with our user counts, and the numbers kept coming off um, when we would do our yearly... Uh, normalization or yearly updates, the true ups with Microsoft. Okay. So something was wrong. We couldn't figure out why this differentiation till it kind of hit us. The computers that were on all the time because they were on for every shift and had to take care of patients, they were just left on. They were always logged in. But the 
nurses and doctors that were not getting assigned a computer because they were too busy running around taking care of patients and it was assumed that, well, you could just use any computer you want, they were still getting that client license. And the computers that they were using were these terminals that were spread out all over the hospital. Mm -hmm. We couldn't have direct evidence that the, the, this mismatch was happening, but we were able to infer it by using the uh, Outlook uh, or uh, the Outlook email logins and the email usage, compare that to who was logging into which kind of computer through our Active Directory and the Azure. Um, what they they used to call it the uh, Federated Service, the ADFS hmm. server, and come to find out, it started to match the users that were using Office three sixty five were not logging into a computer that was assigned to them. Hmm. But it was happening during shift hours. Hmm. And you would see them log in and then log out. No more activity when they were not in the hospital. Hmm. So, aha! Why is this important? Why did I just spend 10 minutes of a podcast setting all of this up? Why is this so exciting? The users that have emails have user-based Client access licenses. They should be able to have up to five corporate computers at their disposal at any given moment, and everything should be fine. Yeah. But they're using computers that have their own cows, double licensed. Mm. And when you got down to the numbers and you started applying dollar amounts, it was a million and a half dollars. Over the course of a three-year, $15 million ESA. So 500 grand a year in licenses that they didn't need at all. Didn't need at all. And, of course, Microsoft's not going to tell you that. Of course not. <laughs> so we wow. show this to the COO, and he's like, this can't be right. And it's like, okay, so we run through the scenario again. Yeah. He's like, this still can't be right. We run hmm. it through it again. We bring in Microsoft. We set them down. We talked to our vendor. We set them down. When Microsoft, we finally brought him in, and I remember this very clearly. He sat at the end of the table, and, you know, they had the big, long, you know. And, of course, where does he sit? He sits at the very head on the very far end from where I had all of my stuff set up. <laughs> and this can't be right. This EA is correct. We hammered through it. Da, 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 da. I was there in the room when everybody agreed to it. 30 minutes later, as we go through our scenario and tell the story, he just looked at me and said, yeah, you got us. <laughs> and that, so, so the end of wow. the story Can I get is, a refund? No. <laughs> no, they would not refund wow. us. Not for the money that was already spent. Well, you know. But the answer was to break up and add a third group, this, this uh, what do they call them? They called them, um, um, actually, it was doctors and nurse managers. Mm-hmm specifically Office 365 users that would not have an assigned computer and they were counted separately from the rest of the population. So you had your knowledge managers who are your accountants, your HR people, your payroll folks, the folks that had a, a computer that they would log in doing mostly back office activity. But then you had your doctors and nurse managers who were using all the other computers that were in and around. And... The real key to getting Microsoft to agree to this was we had to bake into the true-up numbers 
what the definition was between each three of those groups so that it was clearly defined that when we're talking computers, they look like this in the ADSF. They have automated logins. Those logins match the computer name and they stay on almost perpetually. You never see them go off for eight hours a day while they get, you know, thrown in the trunk of the car and the doctor drives home for the, you know, for Mm -hmm. the evening. Um, so yeah, so that I was really proud of because justified your existence for sure. Well, not only that, but you know, (laughs) the, the margins, the, the thin margins that hospitals work in healthcare in general, a million and a half dollars is a godsend. Yeah. Even over, even spread out over three years. Um, it allowed Microsoft also threw in um, the first of their white glove initiatives. Um, they got uh, the new, um, at the time, it was the new uh, ATP um, email advanced threat protection. Hmm. Uh, and then the email scanning and all of these other yeah. tricks. Not only did we get the price reduced, but Microsoft started throwing all of this extra stuff in here. I don't want to say. It was to buy silence, but <laughs> it was nice that the IT security guys really enjoyed those extra tools. Makes little, <clears throat> makes some amends for sure. Right, right. Yeah. right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, you know, I know quite a couple, uh, quite a few firms who are doing uh, big conversions to Office 365, and I, I know consulting companies that help them do that and all this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I would imagine because it, it can be very complicated to figure those licenses out, there's probably a lot of folks out there Overpaying or or underpaying, but probably overpaying. <laughs> right, Microsoft. Well, and that's one of the one of the uh, shifts that we're seeing inside the asset management uh, sector. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, it used to be the threat of uh, audit. You were going to lose a whole bunch of money because yeah. you were using too much of the product and you haven't paid for it yet because mm-hmm. you didn't realize it. You know reasons. Now, with the move to cloud and subscription-based licensing, you're seeing a real threat of overspend. Hmm. Um, Things like improperly baselined server demand or inability to properly recover and quickly reassign uh, subscription licenses Hmm. and those sorts of things that end up driving up the overall cost of operation and chew into your bottom line, that magic 30% that Gartner talks about. Hmm. Definitely. Um, and I guess we had talked a little bit before about, uh, you know, talking about other changes in the, in the, in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, folks are also looking at blockchain technologies to help support uh, some of the asset control and, and such. So maybe you can talk That's a little right. bit about that. Sure. So... Um, Blockchain, uh, back in, what is today? So 2016, um, I was in a compliance manager summit in San Francisco and was brought up as part of a, um, future, you know, uh, foresight, uh, uh, discussion group Mm -hmm. and, there was a lot of concern about Internet of Things and the volume of things that need to talk to other things and how does that get licensed because the people that are doing all this wonderful stuff deserve to get paid, rightfully sure. so. 
there was also concern about uh, globalization and uh, how rule impacts and free trade agreements and uh, the ubiquity of user employee populations can impact licensing. But one of the things that I po pointed out was that um, blockchain was just starting to hit the news. I hate, it still grates on me because I had a real opportunity. I had learned about Bitcoin mm -hmm. a couple of years before, and it's like, I'll never figure this out. I'm never going to get into it. And then all of a sudden it gets like this insane, uh, uh, you know, like 4,000% return in a year. And it's like, oh, how did I miss the boat? But I was telling folks that blockchain has a real potential to alter the way asset management is done. Uh, particularly on the hard, on the uh, software side, not so much on the hardware. The hardware, um, you're seeing a lot of people starting to experiment with it for um, uh, supply chain and making sure that components are being used or are, I don't know, ethically sourced or mm. or the like. Yeah. Um, so you're seeing that happen. traceability, right? Mm -hmm. But with software, blockchain has the opportunity to do something very, very important that gets to the heart of why software asset management is such a pain in the neck. And that's because you've got two competing demands happening. You've got your users that want the latest and greatest technology to do their jobs and they want it better, faster, cheaper, mm -hmm. right? They want to commoditize that. They want to consume that. They want to be off to the races. And I'm not saying that they don't want to pay for it, but their concern is not so much how do we pay for it, but it is how quickly can I get it to get it to start making money myself with it, mm. right? And then you have the people, the intellectual property owners, right? And not just the publishers, the Microsoft, the Adobe's or whatnot, but the everyday coders that want to get paid for their passion to create mm -hmm. these wonderful new and neat tools with these new feature sets that work on these brand new pieces of hardware. So the answer has been volume license agreements, yearly true ups, audits, punishments, real like heavy stuff. Yeah. But blockchain by you, because of its uh, unique ability to um, deal with um, the, the ledger activity, to be able to say that this thing started here and unequivocally uh, and, and without any question, we know that it passed through this person's hands, this person's hands, and then is now over here. Or we're not even using it anymore because we sent it to the trash heap, right? And its ability to ensure that those changes are not being uh, edited post-change mm -hmm. to anyone's advantage. And then thirdly, that without having to expose any more details that are necessary, you can then share that information between the two competing parties. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now it's like, well, why do you care? Right? Well, do you really want Microsoft to know what your credit card number is or how much you're actually working, especially if you use 
SQL database in some of your stuff, but then there's this nice flashy Oracle database that you're also dealing with, yeah. right? In this country, we have protectionism, any uh, 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 um, uh, trust. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Ah, anti-monopoly. Yes, <laughs> anti-monopoly, antitrust. We have these these concerns. We don't want everybody running SQL because, yeah. you know. So if you don't necessarily want to have full exposure of your environment to any one of your publishers or any one of your suppliers. Well, now with blockchain, you can just lay this on the table and Microsoft is going to be able to say, oh, well, we see that you've been passing these pieces of software out back and forth and that's just ours and it matches up with what we uh, expected from your purchasing activity. So yeah, you're good. Yeah. Have a cookie, off to the races with you. We'll talk to you in another year. It kind of makes sense just because the, you know, the nature of, of even just like Bitcoin is you can look at the, at the blockchain and the ledger and say, who owns this Bitcoin? Well, it's the last leaf mm -hmm. uh, in the chain, right? The last mm -hmm. link in the chain. That's who owns it, right? And if it helps solve from a licensing standpoint, like, okay, Jeremy was using this license and then supposedly we gave it to Sam. How do we know Jeremy's not still using it? Because a lot of software is not necessarily it won't necessarily block you from using it right right like you talked about maybe with acrobat and stuff um so if it was well mm -hmm. we know sam's using it and we know jeremy gave it to him because we see that exchange in the ledger yeah the the block coin folks call it uh block coin <laughs> the bitcoin folks call that the uh conundrum of the dual use yeah right how do you ensure that the guy that gave up the usage of that particular coin isn't still using it. Well, that's exactly just like you said. That's software piracy. I, you mm -hmm. know, I gave you that license key. Well, does that mean that you're not using the software in the background? No. But with the Bitcoin, you can set up that ledger to be able to say, yes, this person is now not only not using it, but here's the entry that says we uninstalled it on this date. Yeah. So there's an actual um uh, almost a legal uh, opportunity here for an organization to be able to say, our tool says that we're in compliance, but our employee must have done something unsavory. Hmm. So I'm sorry, Microsoft, you don't want to come after us. Hmm. You want to go after that other guy. Interesting. So it's exactly, that's why I'm, I'm really excited about some of these. Uh, uh, I know of one in particular, I'm sitting on their advisory board. Maybe we should have, you know, made that a disclaimer. Um, I'm not going to, I can't say who they are. We'll have a, a link. You can do your own research, <laughs> but um, they are, uh, they've got a very interesting product and working very hard to get some spit and polish on it. Um and yeah, it's, it's, uh, I really think that that's the end game that blockchain is going to, uh, not just fundamentally change how we handle our software assets. Um, but really just, just, we won't have these conversations anymore sure. about audit penalties and defense and non issue. Yeah. Sort of thing. Hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what are some other ways, uh, that technology has impacted your customers, even just outside of asset management and some of the areas you work in? The big thing is the cloud computing, mm -hmm. um, and which I find funny, right? So I've been at asset management for the better part of 20 years. I am old enough to remember 
oh brother, when my dad brought home a uh, Radio Shack uh, TR80. Yeah, Trash 80. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he brought it home and he plugged it in. It's like, wow, this is neat, right? Yeah. Playing along, of course, what's the first thing we want to do? Can I play games? Anyway. Um, but the neat thing about the... the had a com- I had a Commodore 64, so we were... We got a VIC-20 after yeah. that because... We were know, living large. We couldn't bring home the work <laughs> computer anymore, yeah. so Dad got a VIC-20. <laughs> yep. Oh, and, and we had a tape drive. Mm-hmm. Audio cassettes. I ruined my mom's favorite Beach Boys cassette. Yeah, with a program that I think, I think it was a guessing game that I pulled out of a uh, like byte computing. Yeah. Anyway, they typed in there. It's like, oh yeah. So those, yeah. Help me, Rhonda. Scratch. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the thing that 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 makes this kind of interesting is that you know here's hardware that. My dad was repurposing for fun. He wanted to show it off to the kids, but mm-hmm. it was the work computer. It was the work hardware. The neat thing about the TR-80 was that it was something that you could operate independently of the mainframe. Yeah. Any of the other uh, system terminals that they had there at the plant were all dumb terminals wired yep. into the central hardware. Well, then we get the TR-80 and the rest of the microprocessors that pull all that computing power away from the big monolithic operations into your desktop, your laptop, your mobile devices. But now what are we doing? Well, we've got this thing called the cloud, which is these big honking in a room, centralized Mm -hmm. computing. And then they just send display information down to your mobile device or or laptop. Web browser, yeah. So... You have this this fundamental shift, but the licensing rules I don't think are keeping up fast enough. Yeah, and you get some odd activities. Um, I love picking on Oracle for this. You are not allowed to uh, virtualize Oracle databases. Okay, unless you use Oracle's virtualization service. Okay. Period. End of story. You can't use VMware. You can't use (laughs) Azure. You can't use AWS. If you do, the penalty is you have to pay for the entire hardware stack that your server and the Oracle database sits on. (laughs) Their reasoning is we can't say exactly which processor, which slice, which processor, which piece of that hard drive your system is. So it's just easier to do all of it. Have you ever seen an AWS server? Yeah, pretty beefy. Yeah, you're big. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's um, it's those sorts of things. Mm. And now will AWS tell you, oh yeah, if you're going to spin this up, you better not use any Oracle stuff on here. Hmm. No, nah, they don't. Spin it up. Those um, uh, those companies that you had mentioned before that would help with um. Uh, uploading servers into the cloud and virtualization mm-hmm. in Office 365, they don't pay attention to what is actually in the move. They're just worried about getting the move up into the cloud. Mm-hmm. So there's some real threat to your bottom line if you don't have a good grip on what you're using, how you're using it, and whether or not you want to keep using it. And that's asset management. Well, and, you're, and you're definitely right that um, you know a lot of these almost... I can hardly think of any of these cloud, you know, SaaS applications mm-hmm. that are really all that strict with 
licensing, right? The vast majority of that, that I use, you know, they are not going to stop you from giving your username and password to anyone else on any other machine and just logging in as you. Indeed. There's, you know, and, and you think about, well, what would they have to do to achieve that? Well, they'd have to know, like, your IP address. They'd have to monitor all these other things. They might have right. to install client software on your system, and then right. you're not really cloud anymore, right? Um, and so, of course, that means they're probably losing a lot because... You know, companies are sharing Salesforce logins and stuff um, because there's really no way to stop that. Mm -hmm. There probably are ways to stop it, but no easy ways to stop it. One of it's funny you mentioned Salesforce. Salesforce is investing heavily in AI. Mm -hmm. Part of that AI's function is to pay attention to usage patterns. Yeah. And one of the big usage patterns is exactly what you said is somebody sharing a login account. Well, if you've got the same login account that has two completely different IPs at the same time, eh, somebody's doing something unseemly. (laughs) Well, or even if they're, you know, even if they're Mm -hmm. not at the same time, but if the same login, I mean, is logging into from four different states within any any one day. Well, there's few flights that would land in four states. But what about your VPNs? If you've got a corporate yeah. VPN yeah. and you enforce a uh, um, systematic bounce, yeah. you could be logging into Salesforce from four different locations from the fa- Salesforce perspective. Yeah. So again, that's where the AI comes really useful. Just like hmm. you said, it's all this data that gets presented. How quickly can you find that pattern yeah. to catch that somebody's doing something wrong in the same way that it took me so long to find that um uh, that pattern where the hospital was being double yep. charged on their licenses. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what are some what are some sweet spots outside of you know your standard area of focus that you're you're working in? And I mean, there's I find most consultants are always kind of doing things on the fringes sometimes too. But you know, outside of asset management, are there other things you're kind of getting into? Um, and other services or projects you're working on? Um, no, my company is unique that we're we're focused specifically on hardware and software asset management. So, um, uh, but not just the actual um, data of the hardware and software asset management. We also take a look at the processes. How are you buying your hardware and your software? Are you big enough that you should be negotiating directly with Dell okay. or um, are your users savvy enough that it makes more sense to buy Apple computers? So that's kind of that's kind of a side service and is helping with procurement almost. It sounds Indeed. like some of those questions. Indeed. Yeah. And then at the same time, um, with data leakage, it sounds so it almost sounds like a medical issue, like a, doesn't an it? An issue with Pringles but, chips or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ostella is or, or or Tella or yes. What is it called? See, uh, we can make those jokes because we live in Cincinnati, which exactly. is the home of Procter and Gamble. Yes. <laughs> oh, thank you for that one. Um data leakage is actually a big concern. Um the uh, asset disposal activity is a growth industry right now. It used to be dross, right? It's it's garbage. We don't have a use for it. We've hit it with a hammer. We can't, you know, nobody's going to make any heads or tails of it. So you throw it in the recycle bin, hopefully the recycle bin, and, you know, who cares what happens after that? Mm-hmm. Well, now you've got 
uh, privacy protection rules and GDPR and uh, high trust and some of these regulations that are saying very specifically, you have to track when you are responsible for any sort of data that comes off of that um, uh, uh, trash stream and be very explicit about who owns that device, where is their chain of custody begin, and when does the legal liability transfer from the old company to the new one. So you've got a growth industry starting to spring up around recyclers, e-recyclers and the like that are that have in their um, service agreements. We have this kind of liability insurance. Once we take possession, we are now liable for any of all data that might be found on those devices. Hmm. And then we're going to tell you on this date, we DOD that hard drive. We decaused all the uh, the. Uh, RAM, this and that and other. Here's the receipt that says that we did it, and now you're finally off the races. So it's that entire, my company does the entire asset life cycle, if you will. We can advise on, do you have those kind of protections? Do you need to seek a new e-cycler, you know, and the like. And then the same things go with the software. In this country... Uh, and actually this continent, North America and, or I'm sorry, uh, um, Canada and Mexico have very similar rules. You are not allowed to transfer software licenses. You can't sell them outright. Yeah. In Europe, you have that legal right as part of the EU. So you don't, and, own, you don't own the license you bought, right? You, More or less, well, you can't sell to someone else. You can in the EU. In the EU, yeah. In yeah. the United States... In Canada and Mexico, you bought it, it's yours, it is non-transferable to anybody else. (laughs) And again, that's one of the necessities of having this this yearly true-up and and, uh, audit rigmarole is to make sure that, you know, the licenses are staying put and the intellectual property owners are getting paid. Yeah. Very interesting. So yeah, so my company is by design able to focus on all of that. So we can do um, something as simple as uh, sitting in the background while you're negotiating your um, uh, Adobe use license uh, agreement, the next agreement. Um, We can help you prepare for that. We can um, give you your usage numbers and uh, do a couple of calculations based on um, uh, what you've already got, what you've been using, what you're patterns are and all the way up to uh uh, we're currently redesigning the uh asset management system for a big uh uh cable company Hmm. interesting Mm -hmm. and if i understand your um a lot of the ways that you find new customers and and the way you get your name out there the the way that you have gotten your name out there is through some speaking engagements you've been doing Mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit about where have you been speaking and and where you've been going or how have you gotten into that Sure. Um, there's a number of service management and um, um, asset management um, conventions mm-hmm. around the country. Um, I will. I am on the docket to speak at Fusion 19. This year it will be in uh, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I say that right? Nolens. That's how you're <laughs> supposed to say it. That's right. So, um, like that. so yeah, um, I was actually invited back. I did my, uh, uh, I did a, another presentation that was well received uh, the year before when they were in St. Louis. 
Cool. Uh, specifically talking about uh, how asset management is a good starting point when you're redoing your CMDB and your um, uh, configuration uh, uh, configuration item uh, databases. Okay. Um, so I've also spoken at, uh, I will be speaking at the SAM Summit up in Chicago. Uh, this will be my third year in a row uh, with Steve Russman. So that's uh, that's a, a really a really in depth. That's that's where the as uh, one of the friends put it. This is where the propeller heads come together <laughs> and come up with you know what's going on. This is where you start seeing people you know trading notes and yeah. and it's like oh I've got this problem. This is this is where um, uh, you know like uh, some of the other um, really aggressive software publishers. Who's on the hunt? Who's getting more aggressive? Who used to work at this one place that was a real jerk? Oh, yeah, he's now working over here. Oh, okay, so in six months, you're going to be dealing with him. <laughs> Got it. Right. Hmm. So those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's been fun. It's been exhausting. Hmm. Um, and I'm also writing a book. I thought I was going to ask you about that. I yes. thought last time we met, you had mentioned that. I'm about halfway through the manuscript, and it's about hmm. um, our... So that makes it sound like it's like on a scroll somewhere in a basement with a candle. <sighs> it feels that way sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's going to be, uh, uh, it's about our process. So it's uh, called Pragmatic ITAM, hmm. and it's going to be about how do you set up one of these systems, and what does it look like, and how do you measure how effective you are. So we'll see what happens. Interesting. And so when do you think you'll have that done? Uh, well, it was supposed to be this year. So <laughs> it's looking more like it'll be next year. Okay. I understand. <laughs> um, My wife would like it done this year. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so for folks out there listening, I guess, uh, you know, what are, you know, what are some of the uh, most ideal customers that you'd be looking to work with? And what are the, what are the main, you know, top three problems that, that someone might have that they should reach out to you for? Right. So um, uh, I'm doing a lot of work right now with uh, third-party service providers. And um, they're very interested in using asset management to expand their revenue stream. Mm -hmm. So they can do, you know, with the, the usual folks that do the um, placement, the, um, you know, some of the purchasing. Your th and, and I'm talking like CDW, mm -hmm. um Zones, Insight Global, some of those folks, not quite that big. Um, but there is an opportunity for their existing customers. They see that there's that need. And, oh, by the way, we're going to bring in one of the best and the brightest in the field hmm. to help talk to you. So these are companies that sell all kinds of software all, to all kinds of customers. Right. That they could say, hey, would you like someone to come in and audit and figure out what's going on and see if you could save Licensing costs. 30% is yeah. a nice big number. <clears throat> um, so that's that. Now, the kinds of people that benefit from a hardware and software asset program, uh, like I said earlier, the, the lower limit is usually around 100 employees, mm -hmm. especially if those 100 employees all rely on their own laptop, software, etc. cetera. Um, a hundred is where, and I might actually have to revise this up now that I think about it. A hundred is usually where you begin to qualify for the entry-level volume license agreements. Mm -hmm. Microsoft, earlier in the year, upped their limit from 100 to 500. Hmm. Again, part of it is that um, that five 
license Cal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they need to make up the, <laughs> the, the loss. Uh, but no. Um, so their new, their new limit is now 500. And where Microsoft goes, a lot of the other publishers are going to go as well, mm. I suspect. So, um, so those are the, the, the customer base that we're really looking for are, um, if you're big enough and you haven't started taking advantage of the volume licensing agreements that are out there, give us a call. We can help figure out what do you really have? What makes the most sense, um, for folks that do have volume license agreements, if you have, uh, pain and suffering when you get that audit letter, mm -hmm. odds are real good. It's because you don't have the data to help you with those negotiations and push back on those audits. Yeah. That's where my company comes in. Cause let's face it. She with the best documentation is going to win the day. Yeah. It wasn't the numbers that, uh, I was able to present to Microsoft to recover that, that duplicate licensing. It was getting into the language and the documentation, being able to say, here's what yeah. these people are using and here's what it looks like in your own tools. Yeah. So don't tell us, we don't know what's going on. The difference between the words, words or and, and, you know, yes. it's like very detailed stuff. Right? Indeed. So. <laughs> indeed. And that's something that, you know, or organizations that are this size will sometimes rely on their legal department to catch this yeah. stuff. Yeah. The legal department is there to protect you from the legal standpoint, yeah. the minutia of how you are using this software and whether the, the actuality of the environment matches up with what the legal documentation says, they can't tell you that it's unfair yeah. to have, to ask a lawyer that what are they, I mean, they can only say what they can speak to and they know the legal documentation and the laws that though they're apply. They have no idea what Billy Bob down in accounting is actually using on his computer yeah hmm. well so what is your uh, website and phone number if folks are interested in speaking to you oh goodness um so uh i never call myself i actually have to look that up <laughs> <laughs> so the website is burgerconsulting.com okay. it's very simple very easy because you know after dealing with a oracle audit the last thing you want is something terribly complicated and and uh horrendous right so all the contact details are on the website. So go to burgerconsulting.com and the name is a crazy German spelling. So it's <laughs> B-O-E-R-G-E-R -E consulting.com. Uh, but you can also uh, call us at the main number, 513-394-6317. Great. Well, Jeremy, it's uh, been so fun to talk to you. Um, it's, it's pretty cool to see as you've, you know, kind of really dove deeper and deeper into this specialty since I've known you from quite a long time ago when you were, you know, like you said, in more general IT support, mm -hmm. um, you've just become such a, uh, in-depth expert in this particular field. So it's been great having you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you. And I, uh, you know, I should also mention on how much of a mentor you've been to me, um, you know, staying in contact and, uh, as you stepped up unstoppable software and have offered a lot of good advice for me starting my own company. So Great. thank you so much. And it's thank been you. a pleasure. I appreciate that. All right. Thanks. Good luck to you. You too. Thank you for tuning in to Unstoppable Talk. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. 
if you did, be sure to support the show by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And learn more about this show by heading over to unstoppablesoftware.com. Until next time, keep innovating.